Hi everyone, welcome back to When the World Falls podcast. I am your host, Teresa. If you this is your first time joining us, I am a registered social worker with a excessive obsession with true crime and just trying to focus on some cases that are not heard as often to raise awareness, um, as well as some topics that are not really talked about in the true crime community as much. Uh, this is the first episode for our third mini-series, which is known as Unseen. Um, this one is focusing on the death, murder, abuse of children in care who have either been adopted or are still in foster care. Um, this is a particular area of passion for me as I did work in this area in this field for a number of years, and I see that a lot of times that these kids are just simply overlooked and not really paid attention to. Um, so for our first episode, it's going to make you want to probably throw yourself out of a window. It was really quite appalling and frustrating for me to write, um, just because of how, how many failures there were of the system in this situation and just how this could have been completely prevented so easily if people had actually done the work that they were supposed to do. So our case is focused on the murder of Natalie Finn, who is 16 years old when she died, and it is situated in West Des Moines, Iowa. So Natalie Finn was adopted, and her adoptive mother is Nicole Finn, um, and also her murderer. And Natalie died on October 25th, 2016. So relatively, this is still quite recent. And her manner of homicide was, or her manner of death, was homicide by starvation and neglect. So most of these, the source for this particular podcast is coming from the Ombudsman, Ombudsman, whatever, um, report on the situation um, because it was such a controversial case in West Des Moines that it did require that investigation as a result. So... On October 24, 2016, police and EMS responded to a single-family home in West Des Moines regarding cardiac arrest. When services responded, they found 16-year-old Natalie unresponsive and not breathing. She was visibly thin and malnourished and was wearing an adult diaper. She was also seen to have been laying in her own waist for, on a bare floor for some time. Natalie was pronounced dead the next day, so October 25th. 2016 at 1:20 a.m. due to emaciation and dehydration. She weighed 66 pounds. Natalie's two biological siblings were also adopted into the same home, were admitted to the hospital for starvation and bed sores, and needed months to recover. At the time of her death, the Department of Human Services had two open investigations, including one that was five months old. From police interviews, they were told that Nicole adoptive mom required the kids to ask for food but refused to provide it when asked. One child placed a sign on their window begging for food and money and the children were also rarely allowed to leave their rooms and doors were alarmed. Several weeks before Natalie's death her adoptive father Joe who had recently divorced Nicole came and removed the carpet and beds from the children's room, leaving it completely bare, except for the linoleum floor. As a result, both parents were charged with um, murder, and Nicole received four life sentences, and Joe received three 10-year sentences to be served consecutively. 
The caseworker and supervisor involved in the investigation for DHS were also fired. If we go back to the beginning to figure out where exactly all of this went wrong. So, unfortunately, there's not much available around Natalie's life before she became a Finn. It appears that her and her two younger siblings were adopted as infants or preschoolers as they first came to the attention of DHS in 2005 or 6 while in the care of Nicole and Joe. There is no confirmed record, though, um, from DHS around the exact date of the initial report that we'll be discussing, but it believes to have occurred around that time. So, in 2005 or 6, a daycare worker reported that one of the children had arrived to daycare with a severe ligature mark on their neck and that they had disclosed that it had been done by their mother. It appears DHS accepted this for assessment and a worker came out to ask questions. When Nicole learned of the assessment, the children were pulled from daycare and nothing appears to have happened. When During the investigation, DHS claimed that they had no record of this call or assessment. Another intake was accepted in April of 2008, and the assessment was completed in May of 2008. At this time, the kids were 7, 6, and 5 enlisted as a victim and Nicole as a perpetrator. However, the records were expunged in 2013, and no details of the event exists or the outcome of the investigation. A further intake was done in 2009 after a report from Natalie's fourth grade teacher. Natalie had disclosed to him that she was being confined, restricted from food, and had visible bruises and marks on her arms. The teacher said that when he called DHS, he was told that there wasn't enough for an assessment, and DHS claims that they have no record of this report. In 2012, DHS received a report from a nurse from Hillside Elementary regarding Nicole pulling out a child's hair and leaving scratch marks and bruises on them. The intake was accepted, but it was concluded that the injury was accidental and no further action was taken. No reports were apparently received from February of 2012 until November of 2015. They received an intake on November 18th of 2015 from a principal at Walnut Creek campus around Natalie being very thin. Natalie told, had told the principal that she always got in trouble, so she wasn't allowed to eat. The principal also reported that Natalie never showered or changed her clothes, was hoarding food, and her shoes were falling apart. When the school tried to support Nicole, she became defensive and said that Natalie was manipulating them. Allegations of all, over 30 animals in the home were also made. However, DHS rejected the intake and did not investigate these concerns. A second intake was received on February 5th of 2016. A nurse at Walnut Creek School called to report that Natalie was underweight and malnourished with a gaunt face and her clothes hanging off of her. She was also asking for food from staff and other students, and the nurse reported similar concerns as the principal, as principal had reported in 2015 around shower, lack of showers, changing clothes, significant BO, greasy hair, and that her shoes were falling apart. Natalie told the nurse that they couldn't leave the room and weren't being fed. DHS also rejected this intake with no investigation. A third intake came in April 2016. A student services coordinator at Walnut Creek reported that Natalie was snapped and locked out of her home. 
sorry, Natalie was slapped and locked out of her home the night before and indicated she was afraid to return home to her mother. However, she would be willing to return home if her father was there. This too was rejected by DHS for an investigation. A fourth intake was received on May 27, 2016. A neighbor reported that Natalie was going around begging for food. However, shocking to everyone, this was also rejected by DHS for an investigation. A final intake occurred on May 31st of 2016. West Des Moines police received two separate calls about the Finn children and their welfare. Based on the info they were given, the police called the abuse hotline and the intake was amazingly enough accepted for investigation. The family assessment was opened on June 1st and assigned to caseworker Amy Sacco. Amy attended the house on June 1st but made no contact with the family, so she left them her card in the door. On June 2nd, Amy claims to have called the school, which was out for the summer, and the reporting officer. However, the reporting officer claims he never received a call from Amy. Amy attended the Finn home again on June 7th with the same outcome. And on June 10th, she received a voicemail from the new detective on the case. On June 13th, she returned to the Finn home with the same outcome again. On that day, she also sent a letter to Nicole requesting a meeting. Supervisor Beth Avery, who was Amy's supervisor, proceeded to move the file from family assessment to child abuse assessment with the expected completion date being June 28th. On June 14th, Amy received an email from Nicole. However, it was not answered and Amy was off for the next 10 days, returning on June 24th. Amy returned from vacation on June 24th and saw that she had a voicemail from Nicole on June 16th. She returned the call and left a voicemail. Amy also completed the initial and subsequent safety assessments, despite not seeing the children, which concluded apparently that the children were safe. Which, just a side note, how can you tell if kids are safe if you have not even seen them? If you are seeing multiple reports coming in from community members and schools saying that these kids are starving, and yet you have not seen these child and you're saying that they're safe. Just, just a, a thought. It's like, you know, just a question for you. Amy only made one attempt to contact the family in the next 32 days. Amy emailed Nicole again on July 26, requesting a phone call, and the county assistant district attorney sent a letter on August 2nd for Nicole to attend a meeting on August 8th. Nicole missed this meeting, and on August 17th, Amy and Detective Kincaid arrived at the Finn home with a court order indicating the door that they needed to see the children. Um, initially, no one answered the door, and Detective Kincaid indicated that if the door was not opened, the door would be breached. Nicole proceeded to finally answer the door, however tried to prevent entry and refused to let Amy speak to the children alone. The first time that these kids were seen by DHS is 78 days after the report of child abuse was first accepted. That's over, like, that's almost three months. Amy noted that the kids appeared thin, but they were not interviewed alone, as Nicole refused to allow them to do so. After returning to the office, the decision was made to keep the file open to follow up with doctors. Um, 
around like if it was natural for them to be thin, if they were abnormally thin, and so forth. In the next 67 days, Amy attempted to call the doctor on August 18th, September 12th, and October 17th. From September 2nd to October 12th, Department of Human Services also received three separate intakes regarding concerns for the thin children, but no action was done. This resulted in... And so, so there was nothing that was actually done on this file. There was no actual investigation. Um, I mean, speaking from my experience working for in child protection, you were required to interview children alone. Because obviously a child is not going to be forthcoming if they are being interviewed in front of their abuser. Like, what child is going to be like, oh yeah, like my mom like beats the shit out of me if your mom is standing right in front of you, right? That's why you interview kids alone. That's why you're supposed to see kids within a short period of time if there is allegations of like significant abuse. The fact that these kids were being abused for their what seems to have been their entire existence in this home is absolutely disgusting. Like, you have three kids who were adopted and proceeded to have abuse allegations made almost immediately after their adoption and ongoing abuse allegations being made. Right? Like, if you think about it, I'm just going back in my notes, we're looking at, give me two seconds, this so we received one, two, three, four, five intakes from November 15th until May 31st. That's wild. That's like seven months and five intakes in those months. And then on top of it, you also have three intakes being received in like six weeks from September 2nd to October 12th. Three more phone calls were made that were then sent to Amy and Beverly, I think that's her name. Yeah. With regards to those concerns. And those kids were seen once in that entire period. From May 30, so from June 1st when the assessment opened until um, Natalie died, there was one time that those kids were seen. And it was 78 days after the file was open. 78 days. And that last like phone call of concern occurred on October 12th. And Natalie died 13 days later. Like, if that the last concern had actually been taken seriously, would Natalie still be here? Would there have been intervention enough to prevent her from dying? Like, I understand as a former person who worked, like I said, as someone who's worked in the field, that we're often really swamped and really stressed. And a lot of times there are a ton of cases that we're supposed to do. However, this was not the case in this situation. When investig the investigation was done, Amy was found to have only 14 files for investigation during this period, which is an appropriate amount of files. 14 files is manageable, especially if you have them with different timelines. And especially because, like, I know in the context that I worked with, we discussed the fact that 85% of ch child reports, like, child abuse reports that we received are ones that can be worked with with the family, right? So things like 
neglect or poverty or mental health or things that can be worked through and where family support can be provided to address them. But 15% are the ones that require immediate intervention. However, the thing is that you can't determine which ones require immediate intervention if you don't see the fucking kids. Like, if you don't see the kids for 78 days and you only see them once in the entire time you're doing the investigation, you're not going to know what's happening. You can't make the assumption of what's going on. You shouldn't be writing safety assessments saying that the kids are fine if you haven't seen them. Um, I'm not going to be the only one who says it, but child welfare is an absolutely needs an overhaul like we are such a it's such a horrific system right now and it's a system that is both overworked and underfunded but it's also a system that is so reactive right and unfortunately the societies that we live in are based on reactivity we don't always see the investment of providing proactive supports and services for families to prevent them from coming in contact with children's services so Unfortunately, the lack of action ultimately resulted in the slow and agonizing murder by starvation of a bubbly and vivacious 16-year-old by the person who was made to love her, was supposed to love her unconditionally. Natalie was murdered by her adoptive mother, and she was murdered in one of the slowest ways possible. And unfortunately, this is a death that absolutely could have been prevented, and it's just devastating that this is what happened. And I can't imagine how her siblings feel and how her teachers feel the people who tried to reach out to save her feel right they did their job they were they reported the concerns that they had they reported worries that were being had for these families and nothing happened anyways in closing um i will have images and photos up on my instagram which is when the world falls podcast um, if you have any case suggestions or comments, critiques, theories, um, anything, you can hit me up over there. Feel free to message me. I will talk to you guys later. Thanks.